0: I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design. This episode of the show features Michelle Lissac and a conversation about the business of design in uncertain times, you know, like these. I enjoy talking about the business of design because only after you understand the business landscape and how the business works can you truly take your talents to their full potential. How many times have you seen a creative type with crazy skills but no business sense? The most frequently asked questions of me by those in the trade revolve around the brand development series of episodes and panels I offer every year in the fall. So when I have an opportunity to speak with someone like Michelle and share it with you, it makes me feel like I'm doing some of my best work. Michelle has a degree in business marketing and grew up, and still is, the daughter of a contractor with a love of and passion for design. This experience has given her a strong foundation by which she's built her own firm. These days, it's not enough to be good, to have talent, or to know the business inside and out. You have to possess the skills and demonstrate the will to persevere under extreme circumstances. As I recorded this conversation with Michelle, we were in the middle of a pandemic. We still are, which affects all of us. But Michelle was also coming off recent disruptions caused by the wildfires in Northern California and a mass migration out of Northern California. From some of of the biggest clients of interior design. So how do you deal with trials and tribulations in the ordinary course of doing business, with tariffs and pricing issues, political issues, affecting product delivery, compounded by major shifts in population in an industry that is all about the, the creation of home? As you'll hear, you know your business, you stay focused, and you persevere. That's how we all succeed. This is Michelle Lesac. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zanger, a fantastic company and an equally fantastic design partner. While the Walker Zanger brand was built on the promise to inspire designers and architects to do their best work, there's far more to it than that. Yes, that promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. But at the heart is a family-owned and operated business that provides stunning surfaces for a well-designed home and does it to make designers and architects do their best work for their clients. Walker Zanger started in 1952, and they are absolutely one of the best trade partners a designer can have. Check out their newest collaborative line with designer Pieta Donovan, a, a collection of cement and ceramic tiles inspired by the patterns and colorways of the 1970s and created with a comfortable modernity. Walker Zanger is on the cutting edge of design, featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can create. And they provide homeowners with the materials that dream kitchens and baths are made of. Check out any of their 14 showrooms across the country or shop online walkerzanger.com. It's interesting. This is probably the best place to start. It is um, you know, this, this year has forced everybody to change what they do and how they do it. And I think that for the design community, it's, it's kind of turned the whole thing upside down. And many people don't realize if you've worked with a, a designer before, uh, you know, the designers certainly get it, but you know, everything from specifying and delivery, you know, you don't know from one day to the next if what you s- ordered is, is gonna show up. You don't know if it's on the truck, um, you don't know if it was on the ship. You don't know if it's in the container. You don't know if it got off the container with a big ding in it. And if you do, you've been waiting 14, 16 weeks now for this. You don't know when the next one's going to come. It's changed everything.
1: Yeah, for sure. We've had so many delays, so many um, you know, things back ordered and the clients are really frustrated, and we just have to keep reminding everybody. We just have to be really patient. Like, we have zero control over everything that's going on right now, and so we just <laughs> – we're just reminding everybody to be really patient with us and with the vendors and the delivery people and the manufacturers. It's all like just kind of upside down right now.
0: It's completely upside down, and and so that being said, curious, um, you know, it's funny you you grew up on job sites, mm-hmm. so you're you're familiar. Your your dad is a contractor.
1: Yes, he was. He's now retired. He actually works at the county now, so he's, you know, oh, behind the desk checking plans and handing out permits and all of that. So
0: yeah. So you grew, you grew up on job sites, so you're used to the chaos.
1: Yes, I actually, I love going to the job site. It, it doesn't feel chaotic to me. It feels very comfortable. Um, my dad was actually in commercial construction in here in the Bay Area, and they built a lot of um, restaurants and a lot of McDonald's, like fast food restaurants. And so I have a lot of memories as a kid going to job sites with him, you know, mostly when they were closer to being completed, but, you know, sitting there and waiting for him. And, you know, I'd get like a free happy meal <laughs> and sit and while he, you know, meets with people and does, you know, a walkthrough, and, you know, I just remember, you know, going to work with him and, and being in his office and, you know, sitting at the desk and getting to like draw on the plans and everything. And so, yeah, it's kind of always been a part of my, um, my past, I guess.
0: So when, when did you decide that design was for you and, and why?
1: So I feel like as a kid, I always loved anything creative, anything artistic, like art classes, you know, my favorite and, um, you know, best class, like in high school, I would have been in art class all day long if I could. Um, and you know, when I got closer to graduating high school, you know, everybody always tells you, you have to figure out what you want to do. I thought, Oh, you know, I'll do fashion design because, um, one of my grandmothers was really into sewing and like, taught me how to sew when I was like five or six. And so I knew how to do that. And I loved like the creative side of, um, design. So I thought, Oh, I'll go into fashion design. Um, and I wanted to go to the art academy, but that was out of my parents' budget at the time for me to go to art school. So um I ended up going to a community college and was an art major. And then I then my parents were kind of <laughs> trying to have me be more realistic. My mom's like, Michelle, how are you gonna, you know, pay your bills, you know, doing art? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, I just want to. <laughs> something artistic. Um, and I think I probably changed my major like six times in college and changed my mind so many times what I wanted to do. Um, but I graduated with a business major with an emphasis on marketing, because I thought marketing is the most creative part of business. Um, and then like the week I was going to graduate college, I decided I do not want to do business. I don't want to sit in a cubicle. I don't want to work at a corporation. I don't want to do any of this. And so I kind of fell back on, um, you know, what do I love? What do I really want to do? And my parents were very supportive, even though they paid for me to (laughs) be in college for many years and changed my major six times. Um, You know, my mom just said, figure out what you want to do, you know, what's going to make you happy and something you can make money, but also something that you love. So she kind of guided me to go to a headhunter and said, go there. They'll, you know, kind of test you and see, you know, what you excel at, and, you know, they'll ask you what you want to do, so I did that, and they said, what do you want to do, and I said, I just want to do something creative, I want to do something in design, and so they placed me at a design studio, and when I took the interview, I had no idea if it was fashion design, graphic design, interior design, all they said was that it's a design studio, I'm like, okay, (laughs) so I went to the interview, and it turns out it was an interior design firm, Um, it was a small high-end boutique firm in Portola Valley, and it just all clicked. It was like the perfect blend of everything, you know, from my background, everything that I loved. It's like, you know, the construction blended with the art, and it just like, it clicked in that moment. It's like, this is what I'm supposed to do.
0: Interesting too, because uh, that is, that is how the pivot works, right? And that's one of the things that designers absolutely need to be able to do is to make that pivot work. So -hmm. I think that's a great start. And by the way, I'm just curious now in business, in business for yourself, how much of that do you think, how much of that business training comes into play?
1: So much, (laughs) so much, you know, we're a small firm, you know, it's just me and I have two other designers and I feel like as a business owner, you have to wear so many hats. I, I have someone that helps with accounting and bookkeeping, but still you're still involved in, in all aspects of the business. And I do hear a lot of people who specifically went to design school and they say, Oh, you know, we learned, you know, all about design and, and all, you know, everything having to do with that, but they don't get a lot of, um, you know, skills about how to run a business. You know, they don't teach a lot of that. So I feel like I am kind of grateful that I had sort of a weird backdoor way of, you know, starting my design career because I feel like I, I gained a lot from that business degree.
0: Well, and, and it's interesting too, because I, I, I feel like, you know, having, having spoken to a, a lot of designers, architects are different, but designers, you know, they, they tend more to endeavor into their, into their practice, into their firm, instead of, say, instead of highly planning it and coordinating it. And I think that that's the creative side over the business side, right? Yeah. So to, ha- to have the benefit of the business side to, to draw back on, especially when times get tough, like, like they are now. I, don't, mm-hmm. I, I think this is a – I feel like this is a remarkable time for the design and architecture industry uh, because when things change as dramatically as they have, everything's – turned over. So I'm curious, especially for you, because you're in Northern California where, you know, obviously everyone's been affected by the pandemic, but in addition to that, you are also affected and your clients are also affected by our annual fire season, um, Mm -hmm. by changes (laughs) in climate, certainly changes in climate, um, and all of these things. So I'm just curious, how do you, um, how do you adjust, for this, how do you how do you pivot? How what are your clients? Maybe that's more the direction. What are your clients asking for now? What are you seeing that is changing the way you're doing business?
1: Well I feel like when the pandemic all kind of started, it was a little bit of a oh no moment. Like I I did worry for a second like, oh we're not going to have any business, like everybody's going to hunker down. And you know we're going to be out of business. I I really did have those fears for you know a couple of days, maybe even a week or so. Um, but then, you know, I think as everyone kind of took a moment and sort of you know redirected and and you know figured out what was going on, um, we've actually been very busy. I think after everyone sort of um, you know. Was stuck inside, <laughs> stuck at home all of that time. I think a lot of people realize, oh, you know, if we're going to be in this house for this many hours in a day, we need to make it better. We need to make it exactly what we want it to be. And especially everybody working at home and doing school from home, um, you know, there's been a lot of work for us just in in that because people need a very specific, you know, work from home situation that they didn't have before. Um, and a lot of people have actually still been moving and buying houses too, which is surprising to me. but the real estate market here is super hot right now, which is sort of opposite of what you would think. Um, but I feel like everybody 's you know kind of trying to figure out their their new normal and and maybe focused on more like what they what they really want their future home to be because we 've never you know we 've never been stuck at home like this before, and we 've never done work like this from home and school like this from home. So it's just sort of taken everything and, and sort of amplified the, you know, the home as a whole.
0: And and how do you think, what are some of the things that your clients are asking you for now in in the wake of this that you weren't seeing before?
1: Um, we've had a lot of remodel projects come in. A lot of people are, um, I think they're realizing like, if I have to be in this house, I want it to be exactly, how I want it to be, I want it to be perfect. We've had a lot of um, additions where people are, are, you know, building on like a master suite so that everybody has more of their own space. Um, you know, a lot of people have asked for, you know, we had a lot of furniture things where people are asking for, you know, desks and, you know, a different kind of little work from home or school from home situation for them or their kids, Um And we've had a lot of kitchen remodels too. I think people have never cooked so much at home as they are right now. And people are like, man, I need a better kitchen. So that's been a big one too. We've had a lot of, um, you know, big remodeling projects come up from this.
0: It's amazing. And I'll tell you, I think that there's a couple of things. I've been hearing this on a regular basis. You mentioned the desks and the kitchens, Um, outdoor kitchens, um, remodeled bathrooms, to be more spa-like, um, kitchens to be way more functional, almost, um, almost restaurant-like in the, in the manner in which people are asking for their kitchens to be designed. And I think it's really interesting with all those things and reusing space and, and the idea of a vestibule is coming back, you know, where people want this, what used to be, Traditionally, a mudroom for for states and regions that that would need a mudroom. Now, there be, the vestibule has a has a different purpose. It's it's to offload groceries and clean them, sanitize them before they really enter the majority of the house to take shoes off, to have packages delivered. We're ordering way more packages online now, and so a place where everything can come in and and be cleaned. It almost it feels to me like it's we're getting to a place where design is is rather efficiency and function are catching up with design.
1: Yes, I agree. I feel like we were already, you know, when we would do a, a ground-up new build, we're already, you know, having those extra spaces, you know, like a, a designated laundry room and a designated mud room where people are coming in from the garage and, you know, the homeowners enter different way than you know, guests would enter. So I feel like in a new build, we were already you know, sort of thinking those things through, but you're right, it's definitely a different, um, different way people are using their homes right now than, than they were previously.
0: And so that being said, a- and knowing that you, know, you have this business background to sort of pivot and change on the fly, how, how has this affected your practice? And, and not necessarily right now, because I kind of feel like in the business, everyone is is so hyper-focused on surviving through this right now, because we're not through it yet. But, you know, w- once we get into the spring of 21, you know, the hope and the expectation is that we'll, we'll have a vaccine, that we'll be able to ditch the masks, that we'll be able to get back to normal, normal. I don't know that we'll ever have (laughs) another normal, but, but, but the, the question is as you begin to plan what your firm looks like in 21, how has that changed the way that you think about the business?
1: Well, it's been interesting. We have not been, you know, I have two designers that work for me. We have not been in the office together since March so I have I haven't physically seen either one of them since March. We have our Zoom calls um, every week, and lots of emails and phone calls and text messages. But I'm really looking forward to all of us being back in the office because I feel like, especially in design, there's such you know a collaborative way of working that that I'm really missing right now. So I am looking forward to that. Hopefully in the spring. I mean, hopefully by the winter. I'm like as soon as we. <laughs> can get back in here, that would be nice. Um, but as far as like how I see the business being different, um, I guess, you know, it just feels like more personal now. I mean, of course we're, it's very personal to begin with, with clients because we're, we're in their lives and we're in their homes and we're in the mix with them. But I think it just kind of the whole pandemic, I feel like kind of caused everybody to, maybe take a break, slow down a second and maybe realize like what's important. It's a little like more of a a human side to everyone and not like such a hustle and bustle and, um, you know, crazy schedule. So I feel like like that going forward will be maybe a big part of businesses in general and ours as well, just that everyone sort of can slow down and, and just have a little bit more humanity with everyone and just how we do business?
0: Yeah, it, it's really interesting. I, I feel like that's coming. I don't necessarily feel like it's here now because in, yeah. in survival mode, you know, everyone, this, these are strange times. And I think in strange times, um, home becomes so much more important. I feel like, you know, and you talk about wanting, um, Wanting to get back to a time where we can have these in-person collaborations, I I feel like that's going to be a special occasion. I I think that at least for the for the near future, the idea of working spaces where everybody's in the same space and people are going into offices, I think people are also realizing that while they, you know, while it's not perfect, not going into an office is not a bad thing at all. Yeah. So. <laughs> It's, it's, it, but it's it, but it's funny too because with that you have to kind of figure out how to survive. You know, I have a home studio, and I, I've recorded from here for quite some time. And it's funny that being one of one of the things. Once the uh, once the power company with their truck outside starts turning on their generators, the door has to close. The next thing is at some point the power is going to come off, which by the way is, um, it's novel because I've never had to record through a uh, through a blackout before, but that's part of life, right? Um, yeah. You know, when, when you have a home office, you, you have a, a spouse or a partner who's working behind you. And if I'm recording and there's, you know, that there's a, t- a, a typing, tipping, tapping, typing sound, or there's a phone going off, it's just one of those things that you have to figure out how to adjust on the fly. And I kind of feel like, the design and architecture communities are the ones that are going to figure out how to make these things better, which is, which is also going to focus us on different things. Like I, I would imagine too, because of where you're located. um, And because the rules in California are so strict and stringent and in Northern California, more so than probably anywhere else, the idea of economy and power working on clean water, clean air, We're working on noise pollution. Noise pollution is gonna be a huge thing for people who are, who are working at home. And it's really the designer who's gonna figure out how to do that. Are these things that are on your radar and knowing that you've had to work with some of these restrictions for so long, how does that change the way you view projects which may become more, there we go. And the power's off. See, I, I love that I'm able to record through the power outage um, well, exactly. And so how do you work on making homes more, more functional and still work with, with the design at the same time?
1: Yeah, I feel like, you know, we've designed a lot of, you know, really, you know, big open concept houses where everything's, you know, open to each other, not a lot of separate rooms. Um, I feel like that has already started to change a little bit. I think people are realizing that big open concept maybe isn't the greatest you know, layout for a home, especially with little kids and you know, a lot of, or even you know, multi-generational families. Um, so I feel like that um, layout is sort of starting to change a little. And especially with now people having to work from home, I think that is definitely going to change. You know, people need their own separate spaces, their own you know, room or office where they can close the door and have quiet for their Zoom calls. Um, but then on the other side, I feel like there also has to be some sort of like uh, shared space where, you know, the kids can be right there on their zoom call and then the parents are right there on their computer. And, you know, so I feel like definitely having sort of compartmentalized homes will probably be coming back or at least, you know, building in that space within a home that you have to sort of you know, retreat to close the doors and have some quiet. So I feel like that will definitely change, you know, the layout of a home in general. Um, so I feel like that's, that's one big way. Um, things will change due to the shelter in place in the pandemic.
0: Do you also feel, have you seen products getting better? And, and what I mean is, you know, over time, It it used to be right. Used to be, you'd, you'd buy a sofa and that sofa was meant to last. It was meant to be a generational piece. Yeah. Um, and furniture has gone the way of fast fashion where it was kind of like, you know, this is good for, for now, you're going to have it for three or five years, maybe 10 if you're lucky. Um, and then the next design is going to move on. And I think I, I have a, I have a big, it's a pet peeve. Um, the whole idea of the color of the year kind of thing. I think, I think it's a, you know, it was a great marketing tool for a while, but people don't design homes or ba- you know, base your color palette on what's popular that particular year. So I think the whole thing is, is, well, it's meant to be a color showcase of what's coming out or what's popular or representative of our culture at the time. I think it's a disservice to design. And I feel like the whole thing, you know fast fashion approach to interiors is it, it's not a great way to go for us and i feel like we're getting to a place where quality really is coming back that being said have you seen the same thing and does that, how do you how do you now educate yourself how do you specify new products knowing that well maybe if noise Pollution is something that we really want to work on because you have a, an office the the in-house daycare center is going to be right next door. And then the, your in-house high school is going to be over here. And then the in-house, you know, pet daycare is in the backyard. You've got lawnmowers going off. You've got trucks driving by but we still have to do business and try to find a nice quiet space. So maybe the idea of the hollow door goes away and you have more, you know, sturdier doors and more insulation within walls. That's on the architecture side, right? But the design side is maybe there are better performance fabrics. Do you see where I'm going? It's just kind of like Mm -hmm. everyone, everyone's kind of thinking about how to, how to better products during this time. You as a designer, how do you keep up, with the educational process. How do you know what's going on in real time and still try to find time to run your your firm?
1: So I feel like, you know, we would go places before, you know, we'd go to the design center and see the new products. We would go to High Point. We would go to Las Vegas market. And, um, you know, Las Vegas market, I think is starting next week, this week. It's coming up really soon here. And we did not sign up to go because I just feel like it's a little too fresh. <laughs> it's a little too, soon to be getting in an airplane right now, even though I want to go and see all the new latest and greatest um, you know, and our design center here in San Francisco has been closed on and off. Um, so that's where I feel like we would usually go to see new product, but a lot of our reps have been really great and have been sending us emails when new stuff is coming out. And so they're kind of trying to keep everybody, you know, informed of new things that are coming out. Um, and during this time, because we've had a little bit more time off, I've been um, watching a lot of webinars and catching up on all my CEU credits. <laughs> so, you know, trying to stay aware of what's new and out there. Um, and, you know, obviously we're doing a lot of online shopping and browsing so that, you know, you get to see a lot of the, the new product that's coming out there as well um, but I think as far as acoustic things, you know, we we do some commercial work as well. And I feel like there's a lot that you have to think about, um, you know, with acoustics in a commercial space, just with a lot of people and noise. And I feel like that a lot of that can translate into a home. Um, and so, you know, things obviously rugs help, you know, absorb some sound. Um, we've been, even done acoustic panels like under tables and desks, like in a restaurant, you could put acoustic panels under a table instead of having all the ugly panels visual, you know, seen on the ceiling. Um, So that's another good way to help absorb some sound is to put an acoustic panel like under your desk, because then you can't see it and it's helping, you know, absorb all that sound that's bouncing around. Um, There's also some really great wallpapers that absorb sound Um, and, you know, things like cork boards on the wall or like in our office here, we have one wall that's just um, like cork paneling that we screwed to the wall that we use as like a giant pin board, but it also helps with sound absorption. So I feel like there's a lot of things that I feel like they do in a commercial space for acoustics that can easily translate to a home.
0: You mentioned retail um, and industry events, and I'm curious, because you, yeah, you're right, Vegas market going on, but you're not going because, and I think it's interesting, you said it's a little too soon. And I, I find that interesting also as it relates to retail, I'm curious what you've found as far as, you know, the design center, do you still go? The design districts, do you still go? How do you, how do you use the showrooms? Um, How how are the showrooms reaching out to you and what's been effective for you? And you mentioned the CEUs. I, I think all of this is fascinating because this is how designers educate themselves and get educated. Um, but I feel like the, the learning curve and the activation on the retail side hasn't yet caught up with where we are in reality. And I'm curious what you're seeing.
1: Yeah. Um, when the design center did open, there was some, some items that we had to drop off for clients and also pick up. And it was a very different experience than, you know, pre-coronavirus. Um, you know, you had to make an appointment and you were the only one in the showroom which was kind of interesting. I mean, it's kind of nice because sometimes you would go into a showroom and it's so busy and the reps are so busy. You can't really get any FaceTime with anyone there. And, you know, it's, you're, you're waiting for a while to get your samples and everything, but it was nice. You had a whole showroom to yourself and you have your reps undivided attention and, you know, get through everything really quick and get your samples and, and get out of there. But, um, I know it's, it's been interesting and I, I kind of feel bad for the design center because they have had to, also kind of roll with the punches and I'm sure they are hurting financially right now um, just from having been close for so long. But um, I feel like the reps have been really great. You know, they've been reaching out and saying, you know, do you need samples? We'll send you things. They've been, they've been so accommodating. So they're just trying to make
0: gears. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. And uh, switching gears for a minute, um, to talk about design and your design in particular. So I'm a native California, native Angelino. I feel like California and Calif- that California has a distinct style that, that changes over time, right? Um, based on ideas of the day. And I think one of the reasons why, especially more so down in Southern California than in Northern California, because the idea of coming in, you know, we're a studio culture, right? So coming in, building something, if it doesn't work, no, let's, let's scrap that. Let's start again. We're going we're gonna to build something new. Um, and because of that, the idea of refining a certain style in California and it 's become global. you know they sort of look to us in your design, I feel it 's extremely representative of california and i 'm curious if if and again'll i I'll, let me back up and just say, um, and i 've told this story a hundred times, but when I started doing the podcast, not being a designer, I would ask designers so what 's your what's your style? You know, and it's not a stupid question. It's just pedestrian. It's very, it's very basic. It's kind of top level. It doesn't really dig deep. And then over time I realized as a designer, you don't necessarily have a certain style, but you definitely have a fingerprint. You know, I could, I can look at all your work. I mean, I can't now cause the power's out. So I can't look on the internet, but um, I could look at your style. And I've seen a lot of your work and there are certain through lines that you have, a, you have a very distinct California feel. And I'm curious what California style n- means to you and sort of how, how you incorporate that into your work.
1: I feel like it's just very liv- livable, you know, kind of simple and clean and, you know, not a lot of crazy layers of trim and moldings. It's just very simple and clean and, and relatable, um, and I mean, also with the weather here, you know, we have a lot of spaces that are indoor outdoor. We're opening up, you know, the big La Cantina or Nana doors and it's, you know, indoor outdoor living 10 months out of the year here. So I feel like that plays a big part on, um, you know, the layout and the design of the homes. But just that everything is just kind of casual. You know, there's not that living room like in your grandmother's house with the plastic on the sofa. It's you know, every room is usable. And everything is just comfortable and livable and there to be used as a a living space.
0: And isn't that truly one of the core tenets of, you know, that, that quintessential California style is that it is livable. And I think because of that, there's a certain flexibility in the design where, you know, the idea of every home must have a formal dining room every home must have a formal living room. Every home must, I don't know, must have a garage. I I think that, you know, if you don't live in tornado alley where you're going to have baseball sized hail or or even, you know, something similar, or maybe, maybe you don't have a garage. Maybe the garage is something that is, um, it's not a necessity. It's something that, and, and I think to that, you look at the California style and I'm curious when, when you go outside of California, what's the reaction these days for you to the work that you do, um, you know, juxtaposed against what, what else is being done out there? And where do you think California's style sort of fits into the, the pantheon of design these days?
1: Well, I feel like in California, we are kind of at the forefront of a lot of things, especially here, you know, even LA, the Bay Area, um, you know, we have all the all the tech world right here, you know, and and all the in, you know, entertainment industry is in LA, I feel like we're kind of, you know, at the front of a lot of different industries. And I feel like you're right, a lot of other places in the world do look to us kind of as like the tastemaker. And so I feel like you are kind of seeing that that California living sort of translated into other places, you know, which is which is an interesting um, idea because I I think it could translate to other other regions, but it's interesting to kind of see it, you know, blending other other places.
0: And and as a tastemaker, what what are some of the trending ideas? I, I talk about trends a lot, mm-hmm. and I I feel like. In the business, Um, and it's so interesting because you have these two sides to it, right? We talked about the color of the year. And for some reason, that's sort of an acceptable thing. At the same time, there's always this pushback to the idea of what's trendy in design. And so I think there's this dichotomy between the two that I really still, to this day, I don't understand. But I feel like, you know, trends are important. Trendy, you know, it's, it, trend becomes a bad word when you add the Y to the end, right? Because yeah. that, that I, I think trends are really important because we get to look at what's happening now and perhaps that gives us an idea as to what's going to be happening in the not-so-distant future or the long-term future if it's, a, if it's an idea that sticks. And because of that, you get to sort of look at what's happening and see where the business is going. Some of the things that you see happening right now, which ones do you think are going to stick? What do you think, how do you think design is going to look differently um, based on materials, based on styles? Because, you know, your design, I, I feel like you incorporate a, a minimal, minimalist approach to things. Not like you have to, not like I'm going super minimal, right? but, in your in your in your designs, I've seen like a hyper focused attention to the edit. And so, when you edit as much as you do, you really have to be selective with what you're using. I, I see you, um, I see you incorporating wallpaper. I see you incorporating um, sort of you know we we talk about cane and and how to incorporate that in design and mixed use and finding what's old and what's new. Again, I've seen all of this incorporated into your work. And I'm curious sort of what you see coming that you're now starting to incorporate into your work.
1: I know it's tricky. I feel like the, uh, you know, the design events are like a big, a big place where you kind of see like what's coming up, you know, like last year when we went to high point, like to your you know, what, to what you're saying is the cane furniture, that was like a big kind of through line that we saw, like every different showroom had like their piece of cane furniture. in them for like, Oh, that's going to be, you know, a big thing. Um, it's kind of hard to say like, what's going to be the next big thing. Cause I feel like again, kind of going back to what we're saying about California being the tastemaker. I kind of feel like we, we always kind of fall at the beginning of a, a trend rather than the tail end. And so I feel like we have things that come up here, you know, that we use in design, then they kind of start filtering through. Like, you know, a couple of years ago, um, you know, like Indigo and um, like Suzani's and all that was really popular here. And then now like you see Pottery Barn making it. So it's like, you know, I feel like we kind of always are, you know, at the forefront here on the West Coast. Um, I'm trying to think what's, what's coming up that's going to be It's going to be big. I feel like warmer colors are coming back.
0: Yeah. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to pin you on, on what's (laughs) next. I I'm really not. I think more the idea of, I, I I feel like, you know, we're coming out of this phase where design was so ephemeral, you know, where everything is temporary and, you know, you design a space and then you're, you're, while you're designing it, you're looking on to the next thing because mm-hmm. that's what people are going to be asking for. I think there's a couple of universals in the industry. The moment you come up with something that catches, everyone's going to be looking to copy it.
1: Yeah.
0: The, the moment you just des- design, design a, a, a case good or a new piece or whatever, somebody's going to rip it off. The, the moment you come up with a new idea someone else is going to look at that idea and try to figure out how to make it better. And not all of that is bad. You know, the fact that you can, you come up with it with a design and, and a year or two later, it's showing up in Pottery Barn. Um, that's just part of the business now, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so I think um, the difference is that the, the, the true creators are the ones that understand that that's part of the game now. And so it means that you have to keep working to continually put new ideas out there. At the same time, you know, going too avant-garde isn't, doesn't, doesn't work for working everyday designers, maybe for you know, a, a concept car or a fashion show piece that works, but in design where people are living with it. I just don't think that that, that necessarily works. And yeah. that being said, I, I feel like, again, this, this idea of minimal design is, you know, it's one of those things that really challenges every designer. Because I feel like, and I'm wondering how you feel about this, that the edit really is the hardest part of the design itself. Because you have some maximalists, but even, even somebody who views maximalism as the way that they want to go they still edit that doesn't mean you just throw everything in there right
1: yeah well and I feel like you know throughout a project especially like a whole home you know that we're building something from the ground up so we're working on every aspect with that client you know from the finishes and then all the way through to the furniture and the decor and the art you know there's a lot in that whole process that we're looking at with the client and just on our own and so I feel like it is a, a very long editing process, you know, cause you know, we might start out looking at, you know, five different tiles for this one bathroom. And then we slowly have to, you know, figure out what's the best choice here and, you know, between us and what the client wants. Um, and then even down to like pillows, you know, the client might like 10 pillows, but <laughs> we don't need 10 pillows on the sofa. So we have to, you know, figure out what's gonna look best. And, and um, you know, sometimes we have to veto what the client wants to get, you know, the best, the best outcome. But um, yeah, it is a lot of editing. And, you know, it's a lot of, you know, process of elimination to get down to that, the last perfect piece that really is meant to be there.
0: Switching gears, back to the business side, I'm curious about something. Excuse me. The business model in design has changed so many times. And it's changing again. Um, as retailers are looking for ways to do more business now, they've taken way more online than they've had in the past, which opens it up and, and changes the way that designers can charge for the way that they work. On, online, I, go, I, look at, I look at the Laurel and Wolf example. Um, I, I had a problem with it at the time because I, I feel like for an, a creator, for an artist, to put their services online and say, We can do this for anybody for one hundred and ninety five dollars or whatever the the price happens to be, I think that diminishes significantly the the, the value proposition of what a, a true creator does and while it 's opened up design to people who maybe and the argument was that it would open up design to people who maybe wouldn 't use a designer in the past, I think what it 's done also is that it kind of, it made designers sort of drop rate um, and look for ways to keep doing business in an environment where somebody could just push an idea out online. And so I'm curious, how do you balance that side of the business? How do you continue to charge fairly? And you know, at the end of the day, it's a business, right? And so you have to, you have to find that value proposition, charge accordingly. And then there are, certain, there are certain other ways that designers can, can make money. And in this environment, it's getting a little tougher because it's moving even more online. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, as that happens in real time, how do you adapt and how has that changed your business model?
1: Yeah, I feel like it is tough because, and you know, we love HGTV, but I feel like it gives the public a very, skewed perception of design and designers and how things actually work and what things actually cost. Um, and, you know, I feel like in this, you know, shelter in place, a lot of designers have shifted to more online services, or, you know, kind of like e-design. And um, I tried that years ago, it just didn't work out There's There's something to be said for that, you know, one on one client interface. Um, and I just I couldn't wrap my head around the e-design thing and we haven't done it since. Um, But you're right. There are a lot of people that can just kind of, you know, put together a room and, and sell it to you, you know, through your computer and, and it's done. Um, But I think, you know, there, we still, there still is a lot of clients that want the full design experience. You know, they want someone to be there and kind of hold their hand through the whole thing. And, you know, and there is a lot of value to that but you're right. I think there probably is a large portion of people who might not otherwise hire a designer, but then they are sort of, you know, going to this, you know, going that e-design route um, because it's kind of quick and easy and, you know, it gets them the end result that they're looking for. Um, so I feel like it is hard and, you know, maybe we have lost jobs to, <laughs> to designers who are doing the e-design thing and, and that's fine. I, I feel like everybody kind of has their their place. And, you know, there's lots of different clients and there's lots of different designers. And so you, you know, you always find your, your, your match, you know, you find the right clients for you. Um, But then to your question about um, purchasing things, I feel like we have had a lot of issues with this where we have specified things. And, you know, it's things that we have accounts for like trade accounts. And then we'll have clients that will go kind of behind our backs and shop it online and then come back to us and say, Oh, well I found this online for X amount of dollars less than what you were going to sell it to me for. And at that point, I just kind of say, okay, well, then, then you need to order it because you're, you're getting a service through us as well. You know, if we're ordering that item, we're seeing it all the way through until it's installed in your house and, you know, in its place where we had planned it to be. And that also (laughs) means that we're dealing if it comes broken and if it needs to be returned or all those other crazy things that can happen between us ordering it and you know before it arrives to the client's house so it's a it's a service that they're paying for and some people realize that and are and are willing to pay a few more dollars for something that we're specifying and some people don't get that and they just want the best price possible and so you know we've had we've had both types of clients and you kind of just roll with it and and just make it all work in the end.
0: You know, it's so funny you say that because um, I have seen that sort of gaining steam over the last five or six years, the idea of, of clients shopping their designer. And I think part of the responsibility is on the retailers and the manufacturers and the reps to make sure that that relationship with the designer is respected and that their pricing does not reflect, um, you know, undercutting the designer. Cause I think it's bad practice to begin with, but on a deeper level, I kind of feel like if you're going to, you know, if you're going to go buy a car, right. And you're looking at buying a new car and you look at the price of the car and you know, you, you search and search on the internet, And you say, you know, I know this is a new car and I know you're charging this, but this alternator, I can get this alternator way cheaper and, you know, I can buy the tires for cheaper, but that's not how people buy a car. You know, if, if you're a designer, you're not selling a sofa or a table or a chandelier or a fixture, or you're not selling them individually. You know, you're, you're pricing it out so that the client can see things. And maybe in the future, that's something that designers have to look at is not putting individual pricing on the invoices and on the estimates, just saying, you know, here's what I'm charging for the full design because it makes more sense to do it that way. I almost feel like itemizing is a courtesy. And yeah. because of that, the idea of clients shopping their designers, I, I don't know of many other industries where that would be an acceptable practice. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it also takes the, it takes the value of what you do and the value of your service and the, the creative flow behind the work and that signature fingerprint of yours and the, the manner in which you approach the design, you know, you can't put a, you can't put a price on your ability to edit. Right. So it, it really, I totally agree with you. I've seen it developing. That being said, How do you, how do you work with that? What is So sort of two questions. How do you work with that knowing that it's going to be something that's going to be around for a while? And how do you engage with your trade, your suppliers to say, Hey, listen, here's what we're seeing. I know you, I know it's out there. What are you guys doing to make sure that this doesn't happen?
1: Yeah, so we actually had an experience recently on a project that we're just finishing up. Um, And we had a client and we were, it's just a furniture job. It wasn't, you know, building a house or anything, just purely furniture. And she was for sure shopping us. And once she found out who our rep was at a particular store, she went directly to our rep and asked him to give her our designer price. And after she left, he said, oh, you know, um, I I don't know what exactly he said to her, but he said, you know, I'll get back to you. And after she left the store, he jumped right on the phone and called me and told me what was happening. And I said, thank you so much for letting me know. um, You know, when you call her, please let her know that she has to order it through us, that she can't get our price directly through you. And he said, "Okay, great. And he was totally on board. And I really appreciated that he took the time to call me and tell me what was going on Um, and And I think, you know, we have good relationships with a lot of our reps and I feel like most of them would do that. But then sometimes, you know, there's somebody that, you know, might be (laughs) trying to make their commission for the month or whatever. And they, and they might think that they're doing us a service by just helping the client, you know, get in and get out. So, you know, I feel like, I feel like all of the reps have the designer, you know, best interest in mind because, you know, we're really their client, you know, our client is not the rep's client, if that makes sense. Um... And so I feel like, you know, they really have our backs. Um, But I feel like it's the online thing that becomes the problem. You know, when the client can see something, and even if the the company changes the name of the product, they'll still recognize that it's the same product. People are are savvy. (laughs) They're good online shoppers. And, you know, I know that a huge company that's running an online business is going to be able to order much more volume than a single designer can. So of course they can put it online for, $10 $10 cheaper if the client, I don't know, to me, I, you know, we've had some kind of knock down, drag out arguments with clients in the past about this. But I'm just at the point where if they are really that, you know, set on saving a few dollars, then just let them, let them go figure it out on their own. It's just, it's so much um, time and, and back and forth with them. It's like, okay, then just order it yourself if you really want to.
0: Well, it's one of those things, too, where it's like it's not cheaper to shop your designer because if you really figure it out, what's your time worth? If you're going to save $10 after shopping your designer for an hour and a half, what's your time really worth? Uh, and, And I think that that's just not a connection that's often made. But it does lead to my next question for you, which is, and I think this is an interesting one, too, because you have business and marketing background. And so with that background, that that goes to play in how you manage your social media, your branded content, your ability to work to replace those clients with ones that you with the clients that you actually want to work with. Um, And because everything has has been changing so dramatically for the last three to five years, it's been accelerated and amplified in 2020 how do you approach social media, marketing, branded content, the, the promotion of your, your ideas to the media? And how has that changed? And is, is that becoming a bigger part of your business? And if it is, you know, how do you take resources and assets and shift them towards increasing your marketing? and your promotion and your brand development, while not sacrificing what you have to do on the design side.
1: Yeah, so I have tried to hand over the social media, like, you know, we've had, you know, different design assistants, and I thought, oh, this is something I should definitely take off my plate, I should not be handling all the social media. And, you know, I've done it a few times. And every time that I've done it, people have contacted me, and they knew that it was not me behind it, which is so crazy to me, they could tell that it wasn't my voice, they could tell that it was not that I was not the one posting the, you know, the images and and putting the content on there. So I kind of had to pull it back. And so I I've done all of our social media, I do all of the website. And, and people kind of think it's crazy when they hear that. But, you know, I've tried to pass it off, and it just didn't work. So and i'm kind of a control freak <laughs> which i think a lot of designers are but you know i kind of i kind of like to keep it and and do it myself but we um we have hired a pr company in this last year and that has been so helpful and amazing because it's really hard to get out there it's really hard to try and do it yourself um and i had previously hired someone to help me do marketing um and it, it's hard if you don't have an in with, with the, um, the editors and the magazines, you know, online or print. It's, it's, it's a tough cookie to crack, I can tell you that. So, um, yeah, it's been really helpful having the PR team um, helping us, you know, market and get our name out there. Um, and I think, you know, it took a while to get any sort of... Um, new clients coming from social media, just within, I mean, we've been on Instagram for years, but, you know, just within the last couple of years, I feel like it's, you know, we're seeing the traction and, you know, cause I track where all of our new clients come from. I ask every single one, how did you find us? Was it a referral? Was it online? Was it Instagram? Whatever. Um, and just, you know, in the past like year or two, we've seen more clients coming from Instagram, which is interesting.
0: Why do you think that is? What is it that you think they're, Maybe you know because you're talking to them, but what is it uh, about that particular medium that's attracting them, that's making and, – and when I say attracting, I have, you know, I, I have a love-hate relationship with social media. Um, I love to hate it. I love to hate it. And the reason, the reason why is because I, nobody has the time to use it properly. It's, it's, you know, it's like having a race car that you're using for your daily drive. Yeah. The, power is, the power is there to make it work, but unless you really know how to do it and you're willing to take the time to tune it up and check the analytics and understand what works and what doesn't so that you can make the, the pivot and adjust, it's just a tool. And, you know, all too often you'll post something and people look at the engagement. What's the engagement like? It's like, oh, well, you know, 300 people liked my image great. How many comments are there? Oh, well, it's great. There's, you know, 25, 30 comments. Are they asking a question? No. Are they engaging with you? No. Are they asking, you know, anything or do they want to know anything? Is this going to turn into future communication? No, it's like, it's an emoji. It's a thumbs up. It's a, it's a, it's a fire. It's a 100, but you don't get any real engagement from that. And I I think it's really interesting that you're starting to figure out that people are coming from this. And I'm curious if you know why.
1: Well, I think people are quicker to hop on their phone and look at Instagram than they are to go on their computer and check out your website. So I feel like it's just like a quick, easy thing. I mean, I I feel like it's kind of the like search engine. Like if somebody, you know, says, you know, something to you like, Oh, check out this new restaurant, the first thing you're gonna do is hop on Instagram and and check out their Instagram. Like, I feel like it's kind of like, you know, the first step to kind of, you know, vetting someone out. Um, And so I feel like it's just an easier, quicker tool. And you're kind of seeing more of the designer and more of what they're doing on Instagram than you are even on their website, because you know, your website, it's just your pretty portfolio pictures. And, you know, you can get a sense of someone's style from that. But then the Instagram is sometimes a little bit more of like a behind the scenes and more of their personality and, you know, more like, um, you know, construction shots and what's happening in real time. And so I think people are attracted to that.
0: Do you know specifically what, and this is a tough question. I don't expect, you know, I don't expect a detailed answer because I think if anybody knew this, it would be it would be bottled and sold, but I'm curious if if you know what leads to the engagement, what leads to that client then calling you as a as someone to do the work because we're so used to people using social media as a um, as a search tool. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I like what this I like what this designer's done, and then they take that image to their designer. to to have them try to do it. It makes more sense to call the designer who actually did the work, to have them do the work. But I'm curious if you do know sort of what the, where the connectivity is.
1: To be honest, I don't. Um, I mean, I know people say, oh, your Instagram is is so nice. It's so well put together. And I kind of laugh because I feel like it's never great. I just feel like it can always be better. Same thing with the website. I feel like I want to update it like every week. Um, but maybe, I mean, maybe it's the more personal connection when you can kind of put a face to the designs. I have actually had people who admitted to me that they took my designs and my pictures took them to another designer and then they came back and hired us. So that's kind of funny that you said that.
0: I'm curious if these are, excuse me, I'm curious if these are people that are local to you, or if you're starting to get more work outside of your your general market area?
1: No, it's still all local. Um, Actually, it's been more localized. I was trying to get more projects here in like the Santa Cruz area, because a lot of our work is actually over in Silicon Valley area, like Los Altos, Menlo Park, Palo Alto, all over there. And that's like a 45 minute drive from our office. Um, And we all all of the designers here in the office live locally here in the Santa Cruz area, so we've been trying to get more work over here, and it has actually been happening. We've got we've gotten a lot of projects here in Santa Cruz, and then a few in the Monterey area. So it's kind of nice to work a little bit closer to home. So I feel like that has kind of been um, one of the pluses to Instagram.
0: Is that because you're tagging it, or you're hashtagging, or I mean, is that because you're doing anything different? Do you know?
1: Oopsie. Um, I mean, we do hashtag, you know, different areas. Um, but I think maybe people are realizing, oh, this person is actually really close to me. Like, cause I think people don't connect the dots because um, most of our work is in, you know, the Silicon Valley area, which has been really great. And we continue to have work there. Um, but then people realize, oh, this person's actually in my area. And so it kind of, um, I think that's kind of been a connection point.
0: I think that's great. Is the, you know, the last thing I have for you, it's kind of one of those, it's kind of one of those fantasy questions. Is there, is there a project that you have always wanted to work on? Um, I, for me, this is always one of those telling questions based on, you know, all the things we talk about. Is there something like, you know, I've spoken to designers before who do, you know, nothing, nothing, but, you know, residential and they love doing it and then you ask them what their fantasy project is and they want to they want to design a jet or a yacht <laughs> which is just it's, it's like wow where did that come from but i think it speaks yeah. to sort of certain ideas and then you look back at their design it's like oh i get it now i'm curious is there something that you that you've always wanted to design a certain kind of project, certain location anything in particular
1: I mean, I feel like we have some pretty great projects, especially right now we have some stuff that's just coming up that we literally just signed. And I feel like some of them are kind of dream projects and dream clients. Um, So that's very exciting. But I feel like, to your point, we do a lot of residential and you don't usually have carte blanche with, you know, the designs or the budget. (laughs) Sometimes you're like, I really want to put wallpaper in that room. But the client's like, I can't stand wallpaper. So those kind of things. I feel like if there was a, a project where there wasn't like really a client, like maybe like a hotel where there's not a specific person saying, I want this, I want that, where you get a little bit more freedom to kind of do whatever you want. Oh, sorry. Without, you know, without a client vetoing your ideas. Sorry, I can't get this phone to turn off. No,
0: don't uh, no worry. I
1: cannot get it to turn off. Okay. Sorry. Um, Without a client, you know, a project without a client, which sounds awful because we have awesome clients, but you know, just something where you really had 100% creative freedom to do whatever you wanted to do, that would be, that would be a dream project.
0: So have you done a design house?
1: We have not. We were going to, um, and then a different, um, opportunity came up. We did the apartment therapy, um, small, cool event instead.
0: So would you, because you're just, I mean, it sounds to me like you're designing a design house, like like you'd love to work on a design house.
1: Yes, a design house would be great. We were planning to do it last year, and then the apartment therapy um, opportunity came up, so we did that instead. But I think maybe 2021 will be our design house year, crossing fingers.
0: Okay, I love it. We're putting it out there. (laughs) Yes. I love that. All right, um, Michelle, this was this was so great. Um, first of all, thank you for taking the time
1: to thank talk to me. Thank <laughs> you. Thanks for rolling through your blackout.
0: Well, that's what I was <laughs> going to say. So, thank you for rolling with me through my rolling blackout. Um, this is actually well. Well, I can do, I can record from anywhere because I've you know that's how I've set my studio up. Um, I I have not had to do it in the studio like this because the uh, the transformer was being replaced so um th- thank you for taking this journey with me thank you michelle for your talent time and willingness to share follow michelle on instagram to see her work at michelle lesac interior design and follow us while you're there at convo by design with an x and our amazing partner walker zanger at walker zanger on instagram as well you can also find everything you need at convobydesign.com thank you for listening thank you for downloading and subscribing to the show without you I, I mean seriously what's the point be well and until next week keep creating